Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we are so excited to be beginning a brand new series this morning uh, entitled, uh, Who Am I? Who Am I? And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians, just the beginning uh, chapter. And then uh, in the coming uh, three weeks, the rest of November, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, who are we? And, and really specifically, what does the book of Ephesians tell us about who we are? And I truly believe that if there's a question that radically affects how we live our lives, it's where do we find our identity? Uh, in today's day and age, there are many, many places people go to find their identities. Uh, they believe that they are who they are described to be. So, for example, I am married, so therefore that somehow is my identity, that my identity as a husband But the truth is, uh, being a husband isn't really who I am. It's not all that I am. Some of you are defined by your careers, uh, defined by what you do for a living. Some of you are defined by your strengths. Some of you feel your identity is wrapped up more in your weakness than your strength. Uh, We find many different things that try to give us our identity, but the truth is, The Word of God is very, very clear in teaching us and telling us where we need to find our identity and who we really are. And so over the next couple of weeks, I I pray that you will commit to be with us, to join us in these series. Uh, If you have to miss a week, unfortunately, for different reasons, uh, you can go on our app. You can find all the sermons on there. Uh, TJ and, and Matthew do an amazing job, our sound guys, and, and making sure that sermon is up right after service today. So usually by the time you get home, it's already on the app. It's already on the website. So if you need to miss something for some reason, please make sure you follow up on that. Also, so you know, um, if you are at all wanting this on CD, uh, all of our series that we do are available on CD. You can sign up at the Welcome Center to get that. If you serve in junior church or some ministry, uh, you can get that on CD, and that's completely free of charge. Uh, but also something we started doing a few years ago, and I, or a few months ago, I want to kind of plug this again because it's, I think it's a huge resource. Uh, if you do a lot of driving in your vehicle and you can't really access the app or online in your vehicle, uh, if you're like me in your car is a little older. You know what I'm saying? People are like, oh, let me just get on my Wi-Fi in my vehicle. I'm like, here, let me put on my tape deck. Like, like, I don't even know what you're talking about with this, like, what is that MP stuff? What are you talking about? I don't even know what's going on. But if you, if you prefer to have CDs to listen to in the car while you're driving back and forth to work, uh, we started doing something kind of like a resource library of all the series. Uh, every series I've ever done here, uh, you can go to the Welcome Center. You can check those out like you would a library book. Then you bring it back. I think it's four weeks or something like that. Uh, and it's completely free. You pick up the series, you go, listen to it, bring it back. It, it's just an amazing way. We want to give more and more opportunity to get into the Word of God to, with you together. So whether it's on the app, online, a CD, whether you're using the, the library type thing, uh, we want to make sure that you're exposing yourself to what God has for you. And so uh, we're going to be going through some amazing stuff this next few weeks, and I don't want you to miss it. As we begin this series, I want to kind of ask a question to kind of start our minds down this idea of who we are. And so the question is pretty simple, I guess, in a way. Uh, I would ask, who are the two most important people that have ever lived? So think about that for a second. The two most important people who have ever lived. So the first one might be kind of obvious. So who do you think the first most important person to ever live would be? Okay, Jesus, okay? That's, it's one of those Sunday school answers, right? Like if you're in church and you're like, I have no idea what to say, say Jesus and you're either going to A, be right, 
or B, your Sunday school teacher or junior church teacher or whatever is not going to want to correct you because you said Jesus. And so they're going to say, well, that's a good answer. Not the one we were looking for. And then you're going to say, so you're not looking for Jesus? I don't understand. What you're so yeah, just, you can always answer with Jesus. So Jesus obviously is the most important person who has ever lived. But who do you think the second most important person would be? Second most important person. Mary's a good thought. Adam, right? Yeah. We all should be really thankful there was a guy named Adam, right? Because if Adam didn't exist, guess what? Yeah, exactly. You guys are figuring it out. So two most important people that have ever lived would be Jesus and Adam. Uh, We are defined, the truth is, not by the things that describe us, but where we find our truest identity. In God's eyes, humanity is placed into two categories, in Adam or in Christ. In the Word of God, humanity is placed into two basic categories. Your identity starts and ends in one of two categories, in Adam or in Christ. And when we look into that, it kind of simplifies it for us, but it truly is incredibly important because literally your identity and your eternal destiny hang in the balance of whether you're in Adam or in Christ. You see, we're all born in Adam as a sinner, and you're born again in Christ, who is our Savior. And truly, again, this is so incredibly important for us to understand today. And now let me say this again. If you're here and you're a Christian and you're like, oh, I, you know, I, I know I'm saved. I know I, I know I know Jesus is my Savior. That's awesome. Then I pray that this morning will encourage you and excite you to who you really are. Because here's what we do. Paul says it this way. We're not really living up to our calling. We're not living to the calling we're actually given as followers of Christ. We live as followers of Christ, but we find ourselves drifting into our old identities. Right? We, we put on that old man. We live like the world. The scariest thing is, you know what the, one of the greatest causes of atheism in our world is today? It's not science. It's not philosophy. It's not politics. <gasps> what? You mean politics doesn't determine everything? No. Despite social media, politics does not determine everything. Okay? And by the way, let me just say this again because elections are coming up, right? And I have to say this almost every time we have any kind of an election, little ones or big ones. God is on his throne. Okay? Yes, we should activate our our right to vote and go out and vote and, and put our voice out there and put our opinion out there in a vote. That's great and good and take advantage of that. But listen, at the end of the day, don't lose sleep over it. Because last time I checked, our security is not in a political office or a political party, by the way, or the lack thereof, depending on where you fall. It's not about Republican and Democrat. It's about Jesus. So your identity goes deeper than your political affiliation. Okay? It goes so much deeper than that. And as we understand this, we have to understand that there is a key to this. How we live our lives as followers of Christ will either directly influence somebody to be interested in Christ or to walk away from Christ. And I'm not talking about their hard-heartedness. I'm talking about your hypocrisy. And here's what I mean. We all are tempted to live hypocritical lives. We all are temptable. We all can choose sin and will at some point 
if we're not careful, choose some sin to some degree. I'm not standing before you as the perfect man. But it's amazing how many people will say, well, I I knew some Christians once. I worked with some Christians. I knew this guy that was a Christian. And then they'll proceed to tell you about all the ways they lived in a non-Christian way. And then they'll say something like this, and I don't really want anything to do with church because if that's church and that's Christians, I don't want it. Sat with a man a couple weeks ago, stage four cancer, hasn't been to church. And one of the reasons, he told me, the reason that he does not go into church is because he would go to church when he was a kid. He grew up in the church and he and everything. And then he got out in the workforce. He started working with these people that went to church. Follow me now. He's working with people who go to church and he saw how they worked and how they lived and how they talked and how they acted. You know what he said? Nope. And he told his mom one day, she said, you should come to church. And he's like, I know your Christians better than you do. Isn't that a scary thought? Because our identity in Christ isn't just Sunday morning. Our identity in Christ is not just a denomination. It's not about coming when it's easy or just showing up to a service. It's about, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? I said it the last couple weeks. I'll say it again. It's not rocket science. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant, crazy to think this, I know, follow me. You don't even got to know Greek or Aramaic to know that. What does that mean in the deeper thoughts of the intellects of them? Follow me. So many Christians are trying to, quote, unquote, go deeper i got to go deeper. i got to go deeper. I mean, it's great to study the Word of God, but don't go deeper and lose the simplicity of just following Jesus Christ. You know what that means? Man, as you're studying about all this theology and somebody at your work needs some prayer, go pray with them. Because your knowledge doesn't do anyone any good if they don't know your heart is for them. So who is our, what is our identity? It's in Christ. As a follower of Christ, we can go deeper in understanding the simplicity of our, our identity in Christ. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, then my encouragement to you is to stop just thinking going to church will do it for you. Stop just thinking religion is where it's at. Stop just thinking about good works getting you there. Because the Bible says if you are in Adam, you are in your sin. And there is no way out of your sin, no way out of being placed out of the category of in Adam and in Christ without receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. that's just not my opinion. That's the Word of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. I know Greg just prayed for us, but can we bow in prayer real quick and ask the Lord to speak to us through this word today? Father, we ask that you would lead, guide, and direct. That you would show us who we really are. But more than that, Lord, who you've created us to be. So many people, the reason their identity is such a huge issue for them is because where they find their identity is what determines how they live. If they think their identity is in their workplace and in their career and in their success there, then they'll sacrifice things for that. They'll they'll make decisions based on that. But Lord, if we realize that our identity begins and ends in Christ then it's amazing how the rest of the priorities just fall into place. And so I pray that we would understand what it means to be in Christ. I pray that we'd understand it's not about a religion. It's not about just checking the, the, the box of 
of obligation. I went today. I wore this today. I put the money in the plate today. I did, I did my good Christian things today. It's so much more than that. I pray that we would see today. And again, Lord, for some of us, it's, it's a reminder. For some of us, it's, it's just a new way to think. I pray that we'd see today that our identity is, is found, is rooted in Christ. Everything we are springs out of that relationship. And I pray that we would live that way today and in the weeks and months to follow. Father, bless now this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we read a phrase that is actually quite common to the Apostle Paul's writings. Uh, he says, in Christ. This phrase, Paul uses this term about 216 times in his epistles. 200, roughly 216 times Paul in his epistles says or uses the phrase or something similar, in Christ. Outside of Paul's writings, it's not used very often, if at all. Jesus, however, uses a similar description when he says in John fifteen five, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and that phrase right there, whoever abides in me, this is a language of relationship and affection. Paul saying we're in Christ. Jesus says it more personal, in me. Whoever abides in me. We are either in Christ or we're in Adam. Jesus is a person, not a concept. He's alive, not dead. Now, maybe you didn't hear me there. I know it's early. Time change is messing with everybody. Okay? Some of you woke up this morning and said, it's light out. I'm late. Okay? And you freaked out. Okay? That was just my home. Okay? That's my bad. Okay? My kids woke up, of course, way early. Is it time to get up yet? <laughs> no. Go back to bed. Jesus is not a religious concept. Jesus is alive, not dead. You see, Jesus wasn't once alive and wrote some things, and now we follow those teachings. He is alive and active. You know, the crazy thought, and I always have to say this because it literally blows my mind. The crazy thought is Jesus right now is on the right hand of the throne of the Father, and he's praying for you. Like, that's a crazy thought. He's not praying for you in the mass. He's praying individually for every one of you right where you are. Some of you had the worst week of your life this week. Some of you wound up in the hospital this week. Some of you got some news this week you didn't like. Some of you had some issues this week you didn't care for. Some hardships came up. Some financial things came up. And you were hit with it out of nowhere. Know that in that moment and right now, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, the exalted Savior of humanity, is praying for you. He's speaking to the Father for you on your behalf. He is aware of every single thing. Some of you might say, well, you know what? I didn't have a bad week this week. And I really feel for those that did. But I'm pretty good right now. I'm, I'm doing all right then you should know that in your blessed state, in that season of blessing right now, where everything seems to be going well, you're getting the deals on the coupons. You know what I'm saying? You're getting the parking spots when you go to Walmart. Everything is perfect. Okay? You heard what your wife said and responded in a good way. It's blessed right now. Then don't you dare forget it is not you. 
You have a Savior that is seated in heaven that is speaking to the Father for you. Man, why is it that when we go through the rough times, we fall on our face before him. When we go through the good times, we think it's about us. And we need to come to him whether he's providing or whether we're going through a time of lack and have nothing. He is the same overall, and we worship him for that. You see, we are in Christ if we know Christ is our Savior, and it's because he is alive that we can be in him presently, currently, actively in a relationship with him. And the truth is, if you're in Adam, if you've not received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, he wants a relationship with you. He is pursuing you. I love the language. I don't know what author it was that I was reading. said that he is wooing you. I love that. And that's what we see. We think the Old Testament is all law and anger and, and judgments. And then Jesus comes and fixes the God of heaven. And now he's gracious. And now he's loving. Read Jeremiah. God's heart is broken for his people. He longs for them. He's wooing them to himself. And they completely rejected him. He says to them in Jeremiah, what did I do to you that would cause you to run from me? What sin did I commit against you? The God in heaven is saying to human beings, and what did I do that would cause you to run? Don't you see what I've provided for you? And you're going to broken cisterns. You think that's going to fulfill you? That's going to sustain you? No, no, you need something more. Please, I created you. I know what you need. Let me provide for you. Let me sustain you. And if you're not in Christ today and you're in Adam, it's not just you're not living the life he has for you. You're not living. The Bible says if you are in Adam, then you are in your sin. But the beauty is that because Jesus came and died on that cross and because he was buried again, because he rose again and ascended to the Father, you can right now, know Christ. And just that quickly, by a prayer of faith, receiving his grace, repenting of your sins, you are, you are transplanted from your natural state of in Adam and engrafted, the Bible says, into the body of Christ. And you are now in Christ. And not because you're a good person, not because you're that awesome, not because you went to church, but sh- solely because you decided, consciously decided, it's so much more than even an emotional decision, Salvation is not an emotional decision. It's a, it's a logical decision. I need him. He came for me. I repent of my sins. I trust in him. It's lo- it makes sense when you understand who Jesus is. And when we make that decision, we are given life. You see, Jesus wants to not only give you life, he wants to come into your life, and he wants his life to flow through your life so that you can begin to change be made into the image of Christ, and from you comes something called fruitfulness. A new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of living. But again, remember, it's not you. It's Christ in you. It's Christ through you. It's Jesus' life changing your life. Jesus' life taking residence in your life. And it is the life of Jesus producing fruit through your life that gives your life purpose. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Who are you? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, then you have a new life. And I want to look at what does that new life look like in Christ? What does our identity look like in Christ? The first thing we have to note 
By the way, scary thought, 1126. That was the introduction. Okay, just throwing that out there. Some of you are wishing you would have put that crock pot on low, you know. I told you we shouldn't have put it on high. I want to look at this this morning. I want to see what, what does our identity look like in Christ? Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 1 with me. This is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you see that phrase again? In Christ Jesus. The first thing we have to understand when we understand our identity is that you are a saint, not a sinner. Write it down. You are a saint. No, no, rather, I'm sorry. I am. Write down, I am a saint, not a sinner. And I know what you're thinking. We're going to get there. Because you're like, brother, I know me. (laughs) I know me. And I live days I don't feel much like a saint. We're going to talk about that. See, the truth is, we have to believe and understand, number one, in Christ, we are saints. It is crucial that we identify ourselves with how God identifies us as followers of Christ. Before Christ, we are sinners bound for judgment. But in Christ, everything changes. As you read the book of Ephesians, and again, let me encourage you to do this over the next four weeks. It's a short book, but it's one of the most impactful epistles that Paul wrote. We use the word epistles. Uh, It's just a letter is another way to say that in our understanding today. It's a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. He's trying to encourage this church. He's trying to support this church with his wisdom and encourage them through God. And as he's writing to this church that is doing great things for God, by the way, as he's writing to this church this letter, he's trying to encourage them. And I love that he starts off by saying that he identifies himself New Testament writings, a lot of times the author will identify themselves in the beginning. When we write a letter, when do we identify ourselves? And when do we kind of sign our name to it? At the end, right? Sincerely, with love, whatever, we write our name. In New Testament writings, usually, not always, but usually the author will address his identity in the very beginning of the letter. I believe the reason is that when somebody's reading this letter, it identifies the authority of the individual. Imagine this. The church of Ephesus gets this letter. And what they would do is they would read it to the church. Now imagine that for a moment. The Apostle Paul, Apostle of God, writes a letter inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It's delivered to your church, and then you read what God is reading or writing to you. Could you imagine that today? And I always say this in my mind as a pastor. It's a very, it's an awesome thought, but it's kind of a terrifying thought too. Because I think about, God, if you were to write us a letter at Northgood, then what would it say? And he would say, oh, man, he'd be so impressed with what we're doing. Would he? <laughs> I think he would be encouraged. I think he would encourage us. I think he would write some beautiful things to us. But I read some letters in the beginning of Revelation to some churches. I read a lot of epistles to some churches. And, and not everything is flowery and nice and pleasant. Because you know what God does in his word? He addresses the things we're doing well. Amen? I believe the Holy Spirit, when you do something good for God and you're working for God in Christ, for his honor, his glory, man, the Holy Spirit's your biggest cheerleader. He's pushing you. He's encouraging you. But when when you're focused in the wrong thing, you're thinking the wrong things, you're driven by the wrong things, it's all about you and what you can consume and it's not about them. And I got everybody fooled. 
right? I go to church, I look the part. Man, in that letter, guess what it's going to address? All of that. And so I think about that. Like, these guys are reading this letter for the first time, and they want to know, who is this Paul? Who is writing this letter to us? Why should we even listen to him? See, it's not like today where everybody that has a computer and, and an internet connection can get on and write a blog, and we all read it. Has no credentials, no wisdom, no education, no academic reason for writing what he's writing on or she's writing on, but we all pass it through social media and believe it because, well, it was on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it must be true. So here we see they're writing this letter, and it's giving authority to the Apostle Paul. But look how he addresses not only himself, okay, but look how he addresses the church. He says, to the saints, which are at Ephesus. And then he goes on to describe those saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. As you read the book of Ephesians, be looking for in Christ, in him, in the beloved You'll see in Christ about a dozen times. You'll see variations of it more than 20 times. In the six chapters of the book, you'll see this concept of in Christ more than 30 times. Can I encourage you? Highlight it. Circle it. Underline it. Mark it up. Surround it. Pray about it and study it. Because your identity, according to the book of Ephesians, your identity in Christ is you are a saint not a sinner. You are a saint, not a sinner. You see, yes, we may sin, but sin does not define us. Of course we can sin as Christians, but that sin is not how God sees us. He sees us in the light of Christ's love and how Christ imputed or gave to us his righteousness. We would be arrogant and prideful if we thought we were just good enough But when we humbly receive his grace, we are lifted up in Christ. You've got to hear this. Yes, we can sin. But God in Christ sees you different, sees you covered, sees you forgiven. So then why is sin a bad thing as a Christian? Because if I'm in Christ and sinning doesn't separate me or lose my salvation, then why not just keep sinning? Sin is fun, right? Can we be honest for a second? I know it's church. It's hard to admit this. Is sin fun for a season? Yes. Do you know why we all know that's true? If it wasn't fun, none of you would be tempted to do it. It's like, hey, how about a root canal? Mm, That's tempting, but I'm going to (laughs) pass. If sin was honest when it tempted you, you would never give in. This is why beer commercials... Hear me now. Never, ever will you see a beer commercial unless it's against drinking of a guy hunched over a toilet, vomiting profusely, barely living, saying things like, hear me now, I'll never do that. Why don't they show that? Because that's not appealing. That won't make you want to drink. Okay? And if you're tempted to drink, find someone who drinks. Find them the next morning. Being real, find them the next morning after they've had a good time. I'm talking drunkenness, by the way. They got drunk. Find them the next morning and just sit down with them for a few minutes early in the morning. People who drink late at night and get drunk, they love early morning conversations. So go in, turn all the lights in the house on, okay? Be as loud as possible because they're really aware early in the morning when they're drunk the night before. 
and ask them things like, how do you feel right now? And I'm sure they're going to say, oh, I feel great. All those commercials with all those models and all those beaches, it was so true. You know what's funny? Going to a bar, for the most part, unless it's like a bar restaurant thing, most bars that I've, and I'm just being honest, I've been in. <laughs> My mom was a bartender when I was growing up and, and as a kid and even in high school and, and was a, an alcoholic and drank profusely. When she wasn't at the bar drinking, she was at the bar tending. And I would go in these bars. You know something a lot of the bars are missing? Windows. And they're dark. And they're kind of depressing. And you know why? The more you're drinking, the more you think you're having fun and you're not. You see, my point is, when we think about these things, the temptation that comes to us is not reality. It's not. What sin is tempting you, it's going to give you, is false. If you're here and you're addicted or or battle with pornography, by the way, it's for men and women. It's a scary, scary thought, but women are becoming just as addicted to pornography as men have been for for decades, for, for maybe even centuries. When you think about that, when that temptation of lust comes upon you and it's tempting you and, oh, this is going to give you fulfillment, it's false. It's going to leave you empty and guilty and shamed and just feeling weak. And you're going to say, why would I ever give in to that thing? Because when it first came, it seemed appealing. And so see, yes, can we sin? Yes. But why do we not sin if we can sin and still be saved? Because when we sin and we give in to a sin, we're not losing our salvation. We're, we're cutting off the intimacy of the relationship. We're still in Christ, by the way. We're sealed into the day of redemption. Ephesians is going to talk about that later in chapter 1. Ephesians 4, verse 30, I believe. But it severs that intimacy, that connection, that bond. And God is saying, man... Man, I, had some, I, want, I want to spend time with you, but this is blocking us. Now you're going to be liable for the consequences that come with that sin choice, whether physically or emotionally or spiritually. You're going to be kind of liable for those things, and I don't want that for you. It's just going to bring dis- destruction and chaos and hurt. That's why we reject sin in Christ, because we want to honor him in all things, and we believe his word that he says, that will not help you, it will only hurt you. And so can we sin? Yes. But should we sin? No. Resounding no. First John, my little children, sin not. That's the admiration. That's the encouragement. But if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yes, we have a defense, but man, our goal should be, I am a saint. I am the beloved. I, why would I subject the holy thing of God to an unholy act? It's foolishness. I'm not going to gain in this. I'm only going to lose. We are arrogant and prideful when we think we're good enough. We all, before Christ, needed salvation. But in Christ, we are made as saints. But it's amazing how this arrogance has permeated even the religious cultures of our world. I saw an interview this last week online. And I have a tendency to watch YouTube videos. Any YouTubers? YouTube like YouTube. Raise your hand. Nice and high. Don't like raising your hand in church, raise your hand. I know I ask that all the time. People still do it. It's funny to me, okay? I love, there's so much good stuff on, online. Man, sermons, uh, for a little while there, I was going through a thing listening to Billy Graham sermons from like the 50s and 60s. And just, it's just amazing that you can go on and listen to these sermons and these messages and these teachers. 
But I came across in one of my, I call it like a YouTube thread of just craziness. Like you get on this video, then you watch this video, then you watch that video. You know what I'm saying? It just connects and connects and connects. And I stumbled across this interview, and it was from a few years ago. And uh, they were interviewing all these different religious scholars. And their question was their view on death and what comes after. So the question's about death and what comes after. It was interesting. The panel consisted of John MacArthur, uh, who kind of represented the Protestant view. Uh, John MacArthur, a Roman Catholic priest, a rabbi, a Muslim scholar, a spiritualist, and an atheist. When I told that to Sandra the first time, she's like, that sounds like the beginning to a really bad joke. Okay? But I was listening to this interview, and, and what I found interesting is that MacArthur, who again represented the Protestant view, said that heaven is only through Christ. We agree with that. It's only found in Christ. The rest were a mix of good works, uh, getting us there, or we all go, right? So it's either uh, just live a good life, be good, have sincere faith in something. Um, kind of interesting enough, the Roman Catholic priest said... Um, that the idea that to tell someone you have to put your faith only in Jesus Christ, although he believed Jesus was the only way, but to tell somebody that they had to put their faith only in Christ is limiting who God is. And somebody that sincerely puts their faith in something that they believe in, even though it's not necessarily the person of Christ, he said he believes God would see that and still forgive that person. Although he said, but I believe Jesus is the only way. Most of them were things like that, either good works or everyone goes to heaven. The spiritualist said it doesn't really matter what you believe in. God is love. Ultimately, love wins. We've heard that before. Uh, you can write a book about that and make tons of money, apparently. Uh, the atheist said death is the end, obviously. There's nothing after that. Uh, it was a really happy moment. The panel all just rejoiced when she said, you're dead, you're dead, boom, done. Uh, this life is all there is. And while I wasn't really surprised about many of these answers, I wasn't really shocked by many of these. Most of these are things that I kind of already knew or you've already heard. Uh, the rabbi's answer caught my attention. And I understand this is one man speaking on behalf of a whole religious system. Uh, but what he said was very interesting to me. The rabbi's answer is the one that I paid the most attention to. He said this, that those who are righteous go to heaven, which he actually called Eden, as in the Garden of Eden. He said, those who are righteous go to heaven. Now, what's the logical response to that? John MacArthur spoke up and said, you've got to be kidding me. There is no one that is righteous. There is no one that is perfect. The Bible is clear on this. This individual then went on to say, of course not. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about passing. This is, this is what this man said. He said, you don't need 100% just a passing grade. Maybe 65%, maybe 67%, maybe a little more. Basically, more decent living than bad. He agreed. There is none righteous fully. No perfect man. No perfect woman. But said, but that's okay because you don't need perfection. You just need passing. And see, that's the arrogance. That's the pride that we find in Adam. In our natural state, thinking we're good enough. Do you know what changes everything when I realize that, no, 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 I'm not good enough. I'm not passing, by the way, because there's only one passing grade in God's heaven, and it's perfection. And I've said it before. You might say, well, who is this God to dare to tell me that I can't get into his heaven? He created it. He determines who gets in. He is the righteous judge. This man said, oh, you just need to be passing. 
See, the truth is, in Adam, we think we're all right. But in Christ, we've realized that we needed a Savior. We needed somebody outside of us. We needed to be forgiven. We are not a sinner in Christ. We are a saint. Yes, we may sin, but we are not, or our identity is not defined by that. In Christ, we are saved and redeemed. And can I encourage you something? Don't start thinking you're good enough this side of in Christ because just like you weren't good enough back here, you're not good enough now. It's still Christ in you. So I am a saint, not a sinner. But quickly, we got to move fast. I am blessed, not cursed. I am blessed, not cursed. Ephesians 1 and verse 3, we read it already, but look at it again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, King James says, hath, has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you ever feel cursed? You might say, oh, no, not me, brother. That's, a, that's, that's for other people. But do you ever, I mean, for those of us that are honest this morning, do you ever feel cursed? Do you ever start to think that seriously nothing else could go wrong today? There are people that come to my mind that I think, Lord, please, Lord, give them a break. Not a bad break, a good break, because they've had tons of bad breaks. You feel like no one pays attention to the work you're doing. You feel like everyone else has it all figured out and you're just left in the dust. Man, how do they got it so figured out? We can all have feelings and thoughts like that. Unfortunately, in the church, we are told to not talk about it. As though if we just don't address the hurts we feel, they will just magically go away. Do you ever think, I mean, do you ever grow up in a church like this? People are hurting. People feel these weights. And a guy like me gets up in front and tells you, just don't think about it. Okay, yeah, that's going to work. Just don't think about it. What do you do? I mean, what do most people do when they're told not to think about something? What do they think about? What they're not supposed to be thinking about? Like, don't think about a big, juicy, dripping Christmas ham. Don't think about that. Like, you know, when it comes to brown sugar glaze, all that juice is just collecting in the bottom. You can smell it since you come in the house. Anybody at the gravy, ham gravy? Praise the Lord. Preach. We all do. I mean, all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I really want ham. I don't even want ham. <laughs> Side note, you ever... <laughs> Who grew up eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches but, like, didn't really like them after, like, the 100th peanut butter and jelly sandwich you had? Like, when you became an adult, you're like, I'm never eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I've just had so much of it. But then you walk into the kitchen and somebody's making something with peanut butter, and you're like, mmm, that sounds, sounds kind of good right now. You weren't thinking about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich five seconds ago, but now, oh, that sounds really good, okay? It's kind of, but only not really, okay? We, we think, just don't think about, don't talk about it. Just come to church and pretend that everything is good. What, what a farce of Christianity. Read the Psalms. Man, what did the psalmist cry out? Most of the psalms are, God, where are you? God, why are the wicked prospering? God, how long are you going to let these people keep treating you like garbage and your people like garbage and they're just doing fine? God, why are the righteous suffering? But then it's amazing. Get to the end of the psalm and almost all of them resound with praise to God. Nothing has changed in the circumstance. 
but the perception of the individual has changed at some point where, yes, this is still not enjoyable. Yes, I don't like this. Yes, I don't want to go through this. Yes, this sucks. Hardcore. But God, I know you're God. I know you're over this. So the key is not, let's just not talk about it. Let's just pretend everything's fine and just, how you doing, brother? I'm great. How are you? Good. And we, the next week comes around, how you doing, brother? I'm great. Good. But we actually just get real and say, no, man, I'm going through some stuff. Man, this stuff sucks. <laughs> like this, I hate this. But I take joy not in the tribulation, but in the results of the tribulation. The truth is it does hurt when people take from us and we do feel somewhat cursed. We don't pretend it's ice cream when it's broccoli. You ever do that to your kids? Just pretend it's something else. You know what? I tried that. It still tasted like broccoli. It's not ice cream when it's broccoli. However, we can choose to admit our hurts and feelings when choosing to seek a different perspective on our lives. Our emotions can try and lead us down a road of self-pity and defeat. I've been there. But that's why I love what 1 John 3.20 says. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. If our heart condemns us, 1 John 3.20, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And not just that, he knows all things. You know why I think that's so vital? Because when we're going through things and our emotions are raging and we're all out of control and we don't know what's going to happen, we can trust, God, you're greater than this because you know all things. You know what I'm going through. You know what I'm up against. So what do we do when we're feeling cursed? We're feeling like our emotions are out of whack and not really believing we're blessed. We believe the word and not feelings. We believe the word and not feelings. When we are feeling or thinking those thoughts of defeat, we make a choice to not bury those things down, but to change our focus to the word of God. The word of God is truth. It is the standard for our faith. As far as a denomination is concerned, as a Baptist church, there are what we call Baptist distinctives. They're, they're principles that govern the doctrine of the Baptist denomination. The first Baptist distinctive, the very first Baptist distinctive, is that the Bible is our final authority, not just a authority or an authority, but the Bible is our final authority for faith and practice. Not our emotions, not some religious figurehead that says what he thinks the word of God is saying and now it's equal, but the Bible is our final authority. In Christ, the Bible says you are blessed. Sometimes that's financially, sometimes that's emotionally, sometimes that's physically, but all the time that's spiritually. The Bible says you are blessed. Sometimes that's financially, sometimes that's emotionally, sometimes that's physically, and all the time that's spiritually. You have been blessed with the righteousness of Christ. I mean, you ever th you've been imputed, given the righteousness of Christ. You've been blessed with the love of Christ. You've been blessed with the forgiveness of Christ. You've been blessed with a guaranteed resurrection from the dead and an eternal life in Christ. We deserve hell for our sin. Everything else is a blessing. From what we deserve in Adam in hell 
to anything else that God chooses to lovingly give us is a blessing. You are blessed. You are not cursed. Finally, go down to Ephesians 1 and verse 4. We must understand that our new life, our new identity in Christ is I am accepted, not rejected. I am accepted, not rejected. Look at verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Go to verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, what? Accepted in the beloved. You were chosen before the world began. You were on the mind of God before he spoke the first word of creation. God was not only aware you would exist, but he knew the very hairs on your head before you were even created, before he even breathed out the first words of creation. And for some of us, that number's gone down a little bit. It's okay. For some of you, God doesn't have to think as much about the hairs on your head. It's taking care of itself, okay? But the intimacy that God has knowledge of us. I've always made that joke. One day I'm going to wake up just bald. Like that's just, I can just feel it. God's going to be like, you think you're so funny? Gone, Okay. Now Sandra's going to come up with the idea, just be like, shave me in the middle of the night and just, I don't know what happened. Okay, it's crazy. The intimacy that God has, the knowledge he has of you is amazing. As human beings, we strive and hunger for acceptance. We crave it from our parents or our peers. We will do anything to gain it from those that we desire it from, even if they are not worthy of it. I'm telling you, it's so trite. It sounds so just like you've always heard this. But the, the acceptance that people hunger for is real. And the sacrifices they make to achieve it is also real. I just watched a story not so long ago about a woman that ended up in the sex industry as a call girl and, and, and stripper and, and all these crazy things and just the journey she went through with drugs and, and addiction and, and getting out of all that and now going back and trying to reach these women for Christ. Do you know where she said it all started? She said, I just wish my dad would have loved me as I was. She just wanted the acceptance of her father and because that was absent from her life and he was only there to be angry and to holler and to yell. And and she said, I always just thought, and if I could just be better, if I could just do better, then maybe he could love me. And then when she realized, she said in her own testimony, when I realized I couldn't get that, I decided I'd find it somewhere else. I'm telling you, we hear these things and it sounds, you know, so again, trite and just, oh, come on. It's truth. And we understand it with things like addictions, but why don't we get it with things like family? That if I could just have the acceptance of my parents, if I could just have the acceptance of my peers. I worked with students for a long time. You know, one of the things that they hungered for, acceptance. Even the kids that are like, oh, I don't care if anybody likes me. But it's funny. I've always had people tell me this. Well, they don't like me, but I don't care. Then why are you aware that they don't like you? You know what else is true? I've heard adults say the same thing. Well, they don't like me, but you know what? I don't care if they don't like me or not. I'm okay with it. Are you really, though? Because you sound like you're not okay with it. You sound like it actually bothers you because you don't have their acceptance. You know what the cure is for that? Realizing you've already been accepted. 
You've already been accepted. You're already loved. And yes, we'll still crave the acceptance of those that we love in this world, but we won't sacrifice the things that we should not be sacrificing to achieve it because we know we've already been accepted by the one who created us, who loves us beyond understanding. You see, we will be without blame before him because we've been accepted. He says in the verse there, in verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is tied to the amazing blessing and salvation. We will stand before a holy and just God and be called blameless. Listen to how one uh, author, one commentary defined this word. This word blameless is defined as without blemish, faultless, unblameable. The actual use is that of a sacrifice that is without blame or spotless. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 5.27 that when Christ presents us to himself, we will not have spot or wrinkle. Amen to no wrinkles, anyone? Amen to no wrinkles. Or any such thing that we should be holy and without blemish. This is where we think. This is where we live, is that I am now blameless before God as a saint of God because I've been accepted, and one day I will stand before him as blameless and holy. And what a great day that would be. But when you hear those things, what, do you, what comes to your mind? You don't think those things naturally, right? You think, but I know me, and I'm not blameless. I know me. How could I ever be holy? I need to work harder at holiness, right? I need to work harder at being blameless. I need to be better at being blameless. The truth is we don't need to walk. Or the truth is we do need to walk in the standings we hold with God in Christ. We should live in a holy manner to honor Christ in all things, but you are not going to stand before him because you are holy enough. You stand before him because he is holy enough. How is it an impure And dirty sheep like you and I can be considered spotless and pure because Christ was and is the spotless lamb who sacrificed himself for us. He took our sin that we might be saved. That he would look at us one day and say, because of me, because of my righteousness on you, you're not a dirty, impure, full of sin sheep. You are spotless, and you are clean, and you are pure, and you are perfect. And I I strongly believe that so many of us struggle with sin, struggle in this world, because we haven't even started at the foundation of who we really are in Christ. You are a saint. You are not a sinner. You are blessed. You are not cursed. And you are accepted, not rejected, and not because of you, but because of Christ, and because you are in Christ. Not in church, right? Not in baptism waters, not in good works, but in Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And I'm going to ask you just to begin to seek the Lord where you are. And answer a question for yourself between you and God. What category are you in? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? It's the first most important question you can answer. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, do you believe you are a saint, that you are blessed, and that you are accepted? 
Or have you allowed something or someone else to mislead you into thinking that you need something other than Christ? That somehow being in Christ isn't good enough? And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do this morning. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. And, and maybe you would come and just bend a knee and say, God, I want to believe that your word is true. I want to believe your word says that I am a saint, holy and beloved, that I am pure and cleansed in the blood of Christ. I want to believe that I am blessed, not cursed. I know there's tough days. We all have tough days. I know there's circumstances that make us feel one way. But I pray, Lord, that I would believe your word, not my emotions. Lord, in churches today, it seems like emotion is all there is. We go to a church because it makes us feel good. We leave this church because there wasn't enough emotion, enough visible emotion. But Lord, I pray that beyond emotion, we would see the truth and foundation of the, the reality of your word that leads to proper emotions, proper understandings. But Lord, maybe there's somebody here that's not feeling accepted. They feel rejected. Maybe because they've committed a sin. They're in Christ, but they have an unrepentant sin in their life. Maybe they'd come and just say, Lord, I pray you'd forgive me for that. I pray you'd restore the intimacy that I would draw closer to you than ever before. What a promise we have that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And so maybe you want to come and respond that way. We'll have a couple people up front here in the very front row to pray with you if you'd like to pray with someone. But maybe you want to come and just respond. God, would you move, lead, guide, and direct and that we would understand we are in Christ if we know you as our Savior. New life, new identity, a new standing, and we praise you for it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe you want to come and ask somebody up front here. Myself will be up here. Maybe you want to come and pray. Receive Christ today. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins and ask him to save you as you repent of your sins. But whatever God is doing, would you respond to him? Maybe you don't even sing a word. Maybe you just come and pray and just bend a knee and respond to what God is doing. Would you respond to him today?